Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Here in New York City, where everything is becoming a lockdown scenario, uh, Broadway theaters are closing, um, yeah, everything is, uh, the museums, the mayor has said that we can't have more than 500 people in one place. Fortunately, uh, none of the places where I perform are over 500 people, at least not in New York, and so I am just going to continue doing comedy until... They tell me I'm not allowed to anymore. Hope that you're all happy and healthy and, you know, surviving this virus that is quickly becoming the biggest news story uh, in recent memory. Anyway, who knows whether there will be a 2020 World Series of Poker at all. Um, Of course, I'm still going to eternally hold out hope that it will happen and by some miracle this... uh, disaster that's sweeping the nation will suddenly disappear and we can all go about our lives again. Although day by day, that does appear to be less and less likely, but this is not a coronavirus podcast. We're here to talk poker and I promise you that I will continue to bring you poker content week after week until no one is left on the planet to listen. So... (laughs) With that grim thought, let's continue our review and discussion of the 2019 World Series of Poker main event. We're down to seven players. The blinds are now 600,000 and 1.2 million with a 1.2 million big blind ante. Uh, There are seven players left, but it is important to note that really only two of them have chips your chip leader at this point in the tournament is hossein ensan with 197 million and second in chips is gary gates with 144 million everyone else is notably below 50 million so that is quite a disparity between the haves and the have-nots so in this hand The action folds to Gary Gates in late position. He's actually in the cutoff. And he opens to 3.5 million, which is a big bet. Uh, The big blind is 1.2 million. As I mentioned, Gary has 144 million in his stack. Um, His raises on average have been a little larger than... You know, at this point in the tournament, the average raise size was something in the 2.8, 2.9 range. So, you know, he's sizing up a bit to almost three times the big blind. I don't want to reveal his hand just yet. The chip leader in the small blind, Hossein Ensign, calls. And I'm also not going to reveal his hand just yet. Because your big blind 
is Nick Marchington with only 17 million in his stack. He's in the big blind holding Queen of Diamonds, Eight of Clubs. Let's take a look. So by the time Gates opens and Ensign calls, there is already 9.4 million in this pot. So Marchington, with only 17 million behind, has less than twice the pot. So you might be thinking this is a spot for an all-in squeeze play. Marchington, by far the shortest stack. Um, the next biggest stack at this time is 35 million. So more than twice the stack that Marchington has. Um, he clearly needs to make a move if he wants to get into any sort of contention for this bracelet. But is this the spot? Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we discussed the big squeeze, as I like to call it. This would just be basically a squeeze where it's been raised and called. And now you put in a big bet. In this case, Marchington would need to shove. Uh, no other bet makes any sense at all. So uh, he can call and see a flop with this hand. But let's look. He's only got $17 million and it would cost him two point. 3 million more just to see a flop. So that seems silly putting in about 15% of my stack to see a flop with queen eight. I don't think that's a good play. Um, even though the pot odds he's being offered are fairly attractive, uh, about nine to two. I still think that his chips are much better used in a shove spot later than to just call and try to see a flop here. But let's talk about whether he should shove uh, for two times the pot and try to take it down here. Well, there are a few reasons why I don't think that's a good play. First off, the two players who are in the pot already are the chip leaders. And calling this 17 million shove would mean far less to them than it would be uh, if say, a couple of the other players with like 40 or 50 million had gone in. I mean, in Ensign's case, calling for less than 10% of his stack, and in Gates's case, just over 10% of his stack. So he's likely to get called by one or more likely both of his opponents who would then probably do what we call the cooperation play, which is basically check it down all the way to the river and try to bust Marchington together. So that's why I don't think this is a good spot. But it does make sense to at least consider the play because Marchington is in a position where he should be looking to shove and try to either double up or take it down. If he could possibly double up, you know, he'll be right back in the thick of things as far as those that are contending for third place at this point. And as we've seen in many, many final tables over the years, Anything can happen from there. But I just don't think his hand is strong enough. And this is particularly true in the case of Gary Gates, who really has been patient and tight, and he's not opening from late position, even with hands that probably most of the uh, books, websites, and solvers would suggest you should open. He's actually been tighter than that. So the fact that he's in this pot at all and the fact that he's open for almost three times the big blind 
kind of indicates that Gary's playing a real hand here. So with that in mind, it wouldn't make sense for Washington to try to bluff him off of his hand pre-flop. Gary's got something and he's probably going to call at least. Another case for not taking this spot is although Ensign is the prohibitive chip leader at this point in the tournament, he hasn't really been splashing around. His call from the small blind therefore shows a certain amount of strength, maybe more than a call on his part from the big blind. And because of that, it feels like Marchington's best play is throwing the queen eight offsuit away and trying to find a better spot later. Now it does hurt to have to pay the big blind and the big blind ante and then throw away your hand getting nine to two on a call. But that is the correct play for Marchington in this spot. And the only good news for Marchington now is that he won't have to pay any antes for at least seven more hands. And our two chip leaders see a flop and it comes. Queen of spades, six of clubs, deuce of diamonds. Now, I haven't revealed the player's hands yet. I will tell you one of them now, which is Gary Gates. Gates has the eight of diamonds, eight of clubs. On the flop of queen, six, deuce, Ensign checks, and now with 9.4 million in the pot, Gary fires out 3.3 million. Okay, so we have a down bet, a bet that's actually smaller than the pre-flop raise. I'm not crazy about this sizing. No matter what Gates has, we know he has pocket eights. I suppose it does what he's trying to do, though, against a player like Ensign. If I'm beat, Ensign will call this bet and a much larger bet. If I'm ahead, Ensign will almost definitely fold. Still, the reason I prefer a larger sizing here is simply because it's chip leader versus chip leader. You don't want to get outplayed. You don't want to get check raised bluffed. And I feel like this small sizing opens Gary Gates up to getting outplayed simply because he tends to bet small when he doesn't have much and he bets a little bigger when he has something really good. So I feel like because he doesn't really balance the range with which he would bet 3.3 million, Ensign can pretty much rest assured he doesn't have a queen. And if he so chooses, could bluff check raise with a wide range, just knowing that Gary is in all likelihood not very strong here. Instead, Ensign calls, and I know I haven't revealed his hand yet, but I think that Gary got his answer and he's pretty much done with the hand. Sure enough, the turn is the nine of clubs, yet another overcard for Gates and Ensign checks to him. Gary can't check fast enough. The river, jack of diamonds, and both players check again. Uh, Ensign wins the pot with the queen uh, the king, queen of diamonds. So he flopped top pair and a backdoor flush draw and just checked and called with it. Now, part of this is because when you're in a pot with the other chip leader, losing a big pot for either of these guys would be a disaster when there are so many very, very short stacks at the table. So in these situations, 
players tend to choose a very conservative uh, discretion is the better part of valor sort of line. And you could say Gary lost the minimum. I would say Ensign won the minimum. Two big chip leaders with five shorter stacks remaining at the table typically equals a very boring hand. Well, shortly after that, Marchington does bust out and we are left with our final six contending for this championship bracelet. And under the gun is the well-known Canadian Alex Livingston with a five of diamonds, four of diamonds under the gun. He's got 48 million in chips, which is good for third place out of six. But really, we still have just the two halves and then the four have-nots. But Livingston's stack is the largest of the have-nots. So he decides to open from under the gun, which at a six-handed table is actually the hijack position. And, uh, you know, the blinds at this point are still 600, 1.2 with 1.2 ante. So there's 3 million in the middle before the hand even starts. And Livingston has 48 million. So that means his M is 16. So he's in fine shape. But the problem with this play for me is the other players that are likely to get involved with him here, many of them have 30 million, 32 million, 35 million in their stacks. So there's just not really a case to be made for opening this hand. I mean, I suppose the best thing that could happen is that Livingston would take it down. Maybe his under-the-gun open would get a little more respect than it deserves, and he can just win the pot and increase his stack by 1 16th. But much more likely is that someone else will call and he will have to play a pot with 5 high. Uh, you know, as we mentioned on the previous episode, guys, when you don't have high implied odds, you really can't afford to play hands like small suited connectors, uh, small pairs. These hands just need to be discarded, especially from early position. Now, you could say that in a six-handed game, there really isn't early position. But I just disagree with that way of thinking. Livingston opens to $2.8 million which is about the standard open for this table. I don't mind if he wants to do this on the button where he is that much more likely to just steal the blinds. And if he is called by one of the blinds, he does have a suited connector to play post-flop in position. Next up is Dario Sammartino. You know what? I misspoke a moment ago. At a six-handed table, the uh, under-the-gun player is actually the low jack. So, if that matters to anyone, <laughs> it's actually the low jack position. So, next up is our chip leader, Ensign, who folds 
And Dario San Martino, who has about $42 million in his stack, and the ace jack of spades in the cutoff, decides to just flat call. Now, you could certainly make a case for three-betting. Uh, the six-handed table, ace-jack suited, is a pretty strong hand. Um, certainly, Alex Livingston has been probably the loosest player so far at this final table, and so it's just that much more likely that ace-jack of spades is actually good in this spot. Um, you also kind of set yourself up for some bad news behind you if you just call here. I don't think folding is really an option. His hand is just too strong. I understand wanting to try to keep the pot small pre-flop uh, in position. You know, he's here in the cutoff and assuming the button folds, he will have position for the rest of the hand. But with these stack sizes, I think it's more important to be decisive and, you know, just pull the trigger when you need to. So I think in San Martino's shoes, I strongly prefer a three bet, but San Martino does decide to just flat call. Next to act is Kevin Maas on the button. He three bets here. I don't want to say what he has yet, but he three bets to 6.6 million, which is a tiny three bet. Uh, certainly by now, Maz has shown himself to be an amateur player. He's done some very goofy things like asking people how much they have in their stack repeatedly before folding hands that he was 100% always folding anyway. And I mean at the final table when there's no reason to stall because there are no other tables to wait for. And just you know various things like that that sort of indicated to me that he was an amateur player and I think that Sam Martino with all of his pedigree and experience almost certainly picked up on that as well so he three bets to 6.6 with a hand I don't want to I don't want to reveal just yet so Maz with the tiny three bet and then it folds to Gary Gates in the big blind holding pocket sevens now, this is a really odd spot for Gates. Uh, he has a big stack, but all the other players that have elected to get involved in this pot so far have small to medium stacks. And so it's just, do I want to try to get all in against one or more of these players with just pocket sevens? You can make a case for just, just move all in. Uh, you know, Maz has put in 6.6 .6 after a raise and a call. So at that point, you know, basically the effective stack is Alex Livingston with 48 million. Do you want to take a flip or, or hope that it's a flip for 48 million or just stick it in and hope that everyone folds? But if they do call, you will sometimes have a flip with your sevens. I think in Gates's shoes, I don't really want to jeopardize my chip position. You know, I'm in good shape right now. I've got the second biggest stack with six players left. And 
the other four aren't that close to me. So I think in this case, I agree with Gates's decision to just fold. The original Razor, the under-the-gun Razor, Alex Livingston, is in a really tough spot here with his 5-4 diamonds. First off, he's getting an unbelievably attractive price to just call here and try to see a flop. The problem is that San Martino can now put in a 4-bet if he wants, and that would put Livingston in just a terrible purgatory for 5-4 diamonds. So he's got to have at least some concern about that. Now, that doesn't mean that Livingston should never call here. Getting the, the price that he's getting, I mean, there's, what is that, 11? There's like 13 million in this pot already. And it only costs him another 3.8 million to call. So obviously, calling is certainly an option here for Alex Livingston, even if sometimes he will later have to fold when San Martino shoves. Instead, Livingston folds, and I can't blame him for folding now, but I wish he just would have folded uh, when he first had the decision under the gun. You know, I feel like this is happening a lot in poker. People aren't adjusting their ranges enough for the stack sizes at the table. They're just like always playing 9-8 suited, 5-4 suited, ace-3 suited, no matter what the circumstances or no matter what their position. And I believe that is a hole in many modern players' games. Now the action is on San Martino. And for him, you know, with the ace-jack suited, it's just an easy call. You know, you're getting like 4-1 to one pre-flop against this tiny 3-bet. And there's just no reason to 4-bet such a playable hand. And you know that you'll see a flop as soon as you just chuck in the extra 3.8. But for reasons that I will never comprehend, I can assure you, in my life on Earth, San Martino folds the ace-jack of spades. Uh, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Maz wins a very nice pot with his little miniature 3-bet here. And by the way, he only had King of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. A few hands later, not much has changed. We still have the two halves, Gates and Ensign, uh, with basically all the chips. And then the four have-nots. So just a few hands after the last one. It's folded around to Gary Gates. At this point, he has $150 million in his stack. And he's got the ace of clubs, four of hearts, in the cutoff. So two folds to Gary, only three players behind him. And he's got ace four offsuit. And he lays it down. Now this is excessive conservatism on one level, meaning that even when you have chips at a final table, you still need to put pressure on the shorter stacks and you do need to open the hands that you're supposed to open. Uh, I don't think that ace four is a fold <laughs> in anyone's book, but the case for doing so is that Gates probably knows 
that several of his opponents yet to act have a skill advantage over him. Uh, Alex Livingston on the button could put him into some very difficult spots. Livingston now with $49 million, by the way. Uh, the chip leader in the small blind hasn't really gotten out of line, but he does seem to like to call a lot pre-flop, which wouldn't be a disaster, by the way, uh, for Gates if he gets called because he'll still have the ace-four, which is a perfectly playable hand, especially versus the blinds. The real problem, I guess, for Gates and the case that I can make for folding ace-four here is that Dario Sammartino is a very established, accomplished, and fearless professional player. And he's in the big blind with $32 million. So that's just too good of a shove stack. So if Gates makes his typical open to close to three times the big blind, Dario will probably have a profitable shove with a lot of his hands. If Gates made this fold for that reason, uh, I would just say good on you because that's really thinking about the big picture and the likely outcomes. Because of Dario's specific stack size, 32 million, he's unlikely to just call and he's more, he'll be more inclined as the short stack now to go ahead and try to get back into this tournament by shoving it, especially if he thinks that Gates has a wide opening range here from the cutoff. So because Gates is so likely to have a skill disadvantage versus whoever calls, be that Livingston, Ensign, or San Martino, it actually makes sense to go ahead and fold here. As it turns out, Livingston on the button raises and takes it, and he happens to have pocket kings. Okay, let's jump in and do one more hand here from this very interesting final table. Uh, amateur player with a Chicago Cubs hat on, Kevin Moss. Now the second shortest stack at this six-handed final table raises on the button to 2.6 million with ace of spades jack of spades so yeah obviously ace jack suited on the button we want to open and now zen kai from the small blind three bets to 7.7 million with a hand I don't want to reveal just yet. And he's got $35 million behind. I apologize if I just said that Maz had the short stack. Because clearly Zenkai has the short stack in this hand. Uh, everyone folds back to Maz here on the button. I guess that just means the big blind folds. And what should he do here with the ace of spades, jack of spades? Well... That will depend largely on what Zen Kai has in his three betting range. Well, let's talk about that because for many players, 
they are very suspicious of raises from the button. Uh, most players, I would say, think that all of us raise too much from the button, and so they might three bet a little lighter from the small blind than they would from any other position. So in other words, if it's a button open and I'm in the big blind, I would probably be calling with a lot of hands and not calling with many hands from the small blind. This is kind of a basic strategy that a lot of players employ for small blind play. The difference is in the big blind, you're getting such a good price to just go ahead and call the little open and go ahead and see the flop with a very wide range. Notice he only raised it to 2.6 million. So in the big blind, you could certainly call profitably with a lot of hands and see a flop. And then, you know, have a good strategy of pretty much always checking to the button and then having some bluffs mixed in with your value raises and calls and all that. And we all know how to do that. But from the small blind, it's much more convoluted. For one thing, if I just flat a lot from the small blind, now I'm offering the big blind ridiculously attractive odds. And then I will be forced to play a raised pot from out of position, from worst position with two opponents. Not flatting from the small blind makes a lot of sense strategically, especially if you feel like your three bets will get through a lot. So if you think the big blind isn't ever going to four bet light, which hardly anyone does really, and if you really have reason to believe that the button is opening with a wider range, then three betting with lots and lots of hands ends up being profitable as an exploitative play versus most tournament players' basic strategies. So if that's what's going on in Zenkai's mind, then he would probably have a very wide three-betting range, and that means ace-jack is the virtual nuts here. Also, we should look at the pot size. So with $3 million in the pot, Maz made it $2.6 million. At that point, there was $5.6 million. And then Kai three bet to 7.7 million. And at that point, there's just over 13 million in this pot. Now remember, Kai only has 35 million to start the hand. So he's only got 28 million left. I think the play here for Maz is to just go ahead and shove, you know, at a six handed table, button versus small blind. If you have ace-jack suited beat, let's go. And maybe I can suck out on you. Many of the hands that have me beat are going to have a coin flip. And some of those hands that may have three bet will actually fold here, which is kind of ridiculous, but you do see it a lot. Suppose Kai didn't feel like flat calling with pocket eights. But now that it's been shoved on him and he's facing busting out of this tournament in sixth place, he might not want to call for fear that he doesn't have the coin flip that he actually does have. Now, I don't think you should three bet with pocket eights if you're not planning to call the shove. 
especially with this kind of stack. But you do see players do it. And what we need to try to do, guys, is exploit the tendencies of our opponents. That's why we study each other. You know, I see so many of you at the table staring each other down, but you really don't ever change your strategy. You still play your cards almost robotically. Then why study? And why try to learn everybody's tendencies if you're not actually going to make any exploitative decisions based on what you're observing? You may as well just play like a robot and watch Survivor reruns on your tablet or whatever. So anyway, it's back to Moss and he just calls here with ace-jack suited and I don't like it at all. I think that it's getting a little silly now. I mean, now the pot has almost 18 million and Kai only has 28 million behind. So you're leaving your opponent with an SPR of one and a half. And, you know, I, I would rather just get them all in pre-flop or fold if you're really that worried that your hand isn't good. This feels like the classic Andrew Brokus calling is not a compromise. I feel like Maz didn't want to fold. And he didn't want to shove, so he called because he just didn't know what else to do. I think this is a four-bet shove all day. And if I ran into it, I ran into it. I still will be in the tournament even if I lose this pot. Granted, I'll be a short stack with like six big blinds, but stranger things have happened. I don't like the call, if I haven't made that clear already. <laughs> anyway... There's 17.8 million in the pot. Effective stack only has 28.1 million behind. And the flop comes six of clubs, five of clubs, deuce of hearts. So it's a total whiff for Kevin Moss and his ace jack of spades. And again, I haven't yet told you what hand Zen Kai is holding in this spot. But I will tell you that on this six high flop, he shoves with an overbet of 28.1 million into 17.8 million. And Moss takes almost five minutes to fold the ace-jack high. Look, Kevin Moss, if you're this sure ace-jack is good that you can't even fold on a six-high flop with no spades, then just get it in pre-flop and then you don't have to worry about whether or not you're getting outplayed. As it turns out, he finally folds and he did get outplayed. Zenkai held the king of clubs seven of hearts so he flopped no pair no draw unless you count the back door straight and flush draws ace jack was good kevin maz knew it or at least he suspected it he gets outplayed in this hand and zenkai wins a very nice pot and after this hand kevin maz found himself sixth out of six in chips so what do we learn from these hands we just reviewed it really feels like no one's trying to lay claim to this bracelet. Our chip leader is not exactly big stack bullying the table. He's doing a lot of pre-flop calling and playing conservatively after the flop. Our second chip leader, Gary Gates, isn't really a professional player and, and not exactly the type to bully everybody. So he hasn't really been shoving his stack around either. And these two in the chip leader position, as opposed to the 2018 main event with Michael Dyer driving the action, these two with their conservative styles 
kind of create a waiting game. It's really just about laddering up and no one's really pulling the trigger. Not really that much fun to watch a final table like that, especially when one of the players, the aforementioned Kevin Moss, seems to be tanking for no reason. I hate watching slow tables and I hate watching tables where people are not trying to win the bracelet. But at some point, I do think players should think about, I can win this bracelet. You know, I think back to the Martin Jacobson year when he came in with the second shortest stack and made plays, took shots and made moves to try to get back into contention. And then once he did, the fact that he was the best player at the table just kind of vaulted him to the bracelet. But if he had been overly concerned with just trying to ladder up, he may not have taken the spots that he should have taken and then not put himself ever into that position where he might actually have a chance to win the bracelet. At some point, you have to say, you know what, I'm going to go for it here. I'm going to shove this ace-jack right back on this guy. And if he snap calls and turns over kings or ace-king or something, I'm not drawing dead. It's just the right play. I'm shocked at how both of these players played ace-jack suited. Dario Sammartino in one hand, and then a few hands later, Kevin Moss. Ace-jack of spades in both, actually. Kind of fun. Well, anyway, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you again for all of the uh, interaction on Twitter, at Clayton Comic, and, of course, for all of your lovely reviews and ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever else you get your podcast content. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. It's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa, whoa.